Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome back. You're in Porter Flute Pod, and it's episode 10. With me in the podcast, co-producing and asking lots of questions is Alan J. Tomasetti and Justine Sedke. We're focusing on etudes and gearing it to the high school and college applicant. Today, we'll talk about what we listen for in lessons, why we do the etudes, and what journey the students actually take with the etudes to get to where they need to be in the repertoire. There are a lot of struggles. We all have them. And so we'll bring some relatable and personal material to the table. I went to the vault and I found the cycle of 24 Caprices by Theobald Boom that I put on YouTube. So this is the final Caprice, number 24. Welcome back into Porter Flute Pod. We're happy you're here. Interest is cultivated when you light a fire. I think when you can cultivate interest in a young person and give them these weekly challenges, then their growth and proficiency is exponential in comparison to not having weekly challenges like these etudes. My growth as a musician was basically because of playing these etudes and excerpts. I was studying in the Kincaid Method, book one through four, and Kincaid had etudes within his pedagogy. So I was playing these little bits so that when I really got to play in the real etude books, they empowered me. They were like an old friend coming back. If you're a high school applicant, you should take the methods uh, and do them in chronological order in a specific key signature and make sure you're practicing that way, not just skipping around. Chronology, I think, is your friend here. And you'll get to the end soon enough, believe me. It will be hard and difficult, and it'll be a long journey. But my friends, it will be worth it. I have been thanked by my students for providing them the foundation of going through an entire method. If you're a junior in high school, or even a sophomore, or even in, you know, freshman or eighth grade, and your teachers aren't having you do etudes, I would ask politely, could we please do an etude? They don't have to be long. They don't have to take up a lot of time. But they need to make sure that you're cultivating your technique. So you're training for your big major repertoire. 
believe me, you have all all those other decisions to make in the repertoire, like negotiating phrasings and and your you know your sound. You don't want to be negotiating fingerings and trying to smooth out your intervals. You can get all that stuff worked on, especially in the high school level, in etudes. What do I listen for in the lesson? Well, I I listen for commitment and groundedness. There's there's a promise in your playing that I can hear. And there's a phrasing element and there's a tone element for sure, but when there's an added component of commitment and groundedness, I can see it in the eyes and the mental focus as well. So let's talk about lack of commitment. What would lack of commitment look like and sound like? Well, first of all, all the notes wouldn't be there because the mind is saying, oh, I don't have to play all those notes. I, I've got it. I know what it means. Or you're not nailing the essence of the work, you know, the style. And then there's playing with too much abandonment, right? Too much abandonment, so much airstream. And we're all encouraged to play with abandonment sometimes, but that loses our point quite often, right? Our point is lost when we're playing with such egocentric power. So remember, it's not about us. It's about these etudes. It's about the music. It's about why we're using them anyway. So we need to stay grounded. We need to stay focused. We need to commit. Hi, everybody. I'm here on the stage of Hill Auditorium during concerto competition. We're set up for um, the afternoon. But I'm here with Professor Oval. Hi, Professor Oval. Hello. And we're going to talk about etudes. Now, some students tell me that they don't do etudes because they're boring, their teacher doesn't assign them, or perhaps they take up a little too much time in the practice routine. But I'm here to tell you that for me, an instrumentalist, uh, etudes provide a huge foundation for scales, for rhythm, for shaping a phrase, and you know, you have to just keep going. So here's Professor Oval. Now, why would percussionists, look at all this percussion, why would percussionists do etudes? Uh, etudes are great. I think they're great for all the reasons you mentioned uh, tone development, technique, phrasing, uh, exploration of certain aesthetics. Uh, I think they're great because they're often uh, short projects. So I think it's important for students to have the experience of really being able to play something at a high level and complete a project, sometimes on a really short timeline, uh, different from like a major piece of repertoire. So yeah, they're mini pieces. They're mini, they're mini pieces. concert pieces. Mini successes. Some of us like to celebrate when we complete a method of etudes. 
I call it an etude party. And when a student walks into a lesson with five etudes, I say, yay, we can have an etude festival. Seriously. When the Facebook group uh, Etude of the Week came to the end of Burbage's 18 studies, it had just turned 2018. Now, Carol Winsens had come out with her second flu part to these very same studies, and I thought, I need to have a party. We need to have a party and use the second flu part in it. So I asked my doctoral student at the time, Meryl Neal, to help me with the project. Here's the thing. She was using a loop station at the time. In fact, she was collaborating with the DJ and creating her own shows. So I got excited about my, my etude party. And I knew I had a disco ball in the basement. So I got it out. I put it on the piano. I asked Meryl and her partner to incorporate the very famous bass lines and disco beats of the disco queen herself, Donna Summer. I taught them the pieces and we just went for it. We had a party. Just listen to this craziness. Hi everyone, happy 2018. We did it. We played all 18 Burbigay etudes in a row. So we're having a Donna Summer tribute party. Ready? Let's dance. The last dance. Okay, I know, it's not all song and dance. 
It's hard getting through an etude book. And literally, there are struggles that make us want to throw our instrument across the room. Literally. It can make all our muscles cringe. We see all of our deficiencies. Here are some struggles. We have struggles of keeping up the tempo when the technique gets hard, right? And we think we can automatically just slow down, press the brakes. Well, I'm afraid that it's best to put the metronome on and just give yourself little stretches of highway to cover, not the whole journey. Give yourself line by line if you'd like per week and even take a whole etude for a month and really get good at it and memorize it. But the technique in the right tempo, that's a real, uh, like a, a barrier almost that we feel makes us want to stop doing etudes. And that's another one, stopping. You have to stop stopping. Keep going. And keeping going is difficult. A lot of times I tell students, could you stop stopping, please? And they say, well, I made a mistake. And I say, but it's important to go beyond the mistake. It's getting out of the mistake that is the reality of life. It's how you survive that mistake. If you could just pick yourself up, hopefully within a note or two, and dust yourself off and say, I've got the rest of this phrase, that's that's a better judgment right there. And also, try not to talk to yourself in those spaces. So let's say you're playing long. Three measures later, you make a mistake. You stop. You put your flute down. You say, oh, my head joint's in the wrong place. Or, oh, my hands are sweaty. Or, oh, I have dry mouth. Or, oh, whatever the laundry list of issues could be. I think it's best if you just keep going. And then in six measures, when there's an actual rest or a pause or something in the etude, you can stop and say, Okay, that phrase needs a little work. Let's see where I fell off. So you go to that place and you work backwards. You do one of the 20 ways I have on my website to cure technique, but you keep going and you work it out, like heat up that iron and work out the wrinkles. I spoke about it earlier, but make the etudes sound convincing. And that's a struggle. Why is it a struggle? Because some of these etudes were written for the eight-keyed flute, like Anderson. And plus, we could never be as good as Anderson. So, why bother? Well, being a musician is about convincing others that this piece of art is worth listening to. Do you get that? Even the etudes, you have to sell it. You've got to make people think that this is the most beautiful melody or technical work that they've ever heard. That's the attitude I have going into every etude. And lastly, the struggle to sound effortless. Oh my goodness. I would say lighten up on the airstream, lighten up on your grip of the instrument, and try, just try, to go as fast as you can, if it's supposed to be fast. And much like a bird alights, you will just take off from, from, from just the airstream lifting you. It's going to be a beautiful feeling too. You'll think to yourself, how are my fingers doing that? But it's a fluency. It really is. This comes down to fluency of the airstream. And quite frankly, it's a language. So if you can play effortlessly as 
a fluency of a language just like that, oh, etudes will be flawless for you. And you will love working within etudes to make yourself a better player. Fluency is ease, and ease will come when you play etudes. You'll have a lot more confidence. I remember I did have etuditis, as shown to me by my teacher. He, Samuel Barron would quietly say, that's an F sharp. No, that's a B flat. He would get very upset when I couldn't count the double dots in the slow movements. So <laughs> I think I fell in love with etudes because... I couldn't do them, and I wanted to do them because he held them in such esteem. When I auditioned for Samuel Barron at Juilliard, I had been prepared by my teacher at the time, Deborah Carter-Smith. I auditioned on Altez Etude Number no. 13 and Marcel Biche Etude Number no. 5. These were showstopper etudes, and they showcased my commitment and dedication to the art of playing the flute. I think they didn't see a genius right away, of course, but I had to show potential. So I encourage everyone in the high school level, just show your potential. And if you're in the master's level and auditioning for that master's level, get those etude books out again and brush up on your fluency.
In summary, I'd be hard pressed not to teach etudes to my students. And I know that there is a thought out there that we don't need etudes. And in fact, we don't need orchestral excerpts in our pedagogy for instrumentalists. Well, I can't imagine not playing Afternoon of a Fawn or a book of Anderson Etudes growing up. So I'm still of the philosophy that etudes are an enriching part of our practice. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about stuff in our Business 101 category called social media. And we'll pick those two words apart. And we'll figure out how to choose which content goes on what platform. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so grateful for you.